Welcome to another episode of Consider This. We are glad that you are joining us, and uh, probably if you've clicked this, uh, you already see what the what the title is and what the uh, what the content is. I am glad to have uh, for the first time in the studio my good friend uh, Uri. I have to really kind of stop and think about how to say your name. I so want to call you Yuri. Well, that's not my name. I know. So uh, Uri Goldflam, who I've known now since two, uh, 2014, when my first trip to Israel, I was uh, blessed to have some, con- I still remember, he won't remember the first time uh, we had a conversation, but I do remember it. Um, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was really neat. I remember thinking to myself, I really need to get to know this guy and uh, appreciated what he was able to teach me uh, about the Bible land. It was my first trip to Israel. Since that time, I've, I've been back a number of times and uh, we're actually planning another trip. Uh, to do some um, some filming, uh, not only for you and for the the work that you're doing with Travel Trailer, but uh, also for some stuff that we're wanting to do here at Sunnybrook. So we're looking forward to doing that in March. Yeah, that's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be good. Um, but last night, actually, this is a continuation of uh, of last night's conversation that uh, that Uri and I had. Uh, we were discussing. Um, I think with the way we had titled it was a Jew and a Christian uh, discuss Jesus. And we really did spend the majority of our time first setting it up. And even in our time this morning getting coffee, you know, we've, we've, we're continue, continually um, basking in or just being grateful for uh, the uniqueness, reflecting, reflecting on, yeah, the uniqueness of this conversation. And so we talked a little bit that, about that last night, but uh, it is it is a, an interesting conversation. I, I doubt if we're the first to ever do this, but it's not common that uh, that people of such divergent views can can speak this way with each with, no, with I each, with, I, I, with each well, other. Well, it's not it's not, no definitely we're definitely not the first people to do it. Done throughout history, there's a long history of these kinds of conversations, not always in a positive with a positive <laughs> angle, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but I feel very fortunate that we're able to actually have this conversation in this manner and uh, bring our worldviews into one room and discuss it in a civil manner, and I think that's wonderful. Yeah, especially in a day and age when almost nothing can be agreed upon without name-calling, which is kind of a reason why I'm no longer on Facebook. No, that's not a question. Uh, another issue. So what we're going to do today is because we didn't get to get to it last night, is um, we are uh, going to be looking at the texts. So... Uh, on the question about the Messiah and on the questions about who Jesus is, um, the early church would go back to the Old Testament texts to prove that, in fact, Jesus was the Messiah or was the Christ. And so two texts that we go to um, pretty pretty readily, and even the New Testament uh, authors go back to these. Not only, they go back to a number of different texts, but two of the ones that are, um, say, almost an entire chapter devoted to uh, what we see as uh, believers in Jesus as the Messiah uh, that we go to is Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22. And so in our time uh, in this in this podcast, we want to discuss that a little bit. And so uh, obviously for those of you that are listening, probably the majority um, kind of have that conviction that uh, this text is prophesying about Jesus. And so I know that uh, we all are. I, I really appreciated um, kind of hearing how how, how Uri w- would, would read this, 
um, how he has been taught to read this text. How would you interpret it, so to speak? And so we're going to ask him to actually kind of do that a little bit. So I'm going to I'm going to just not we're not here to debate this as much as we are to say, okay, Uri. So looking at Isaiah 53, how were you taught to interpret this, and how do you interpret this? Where do you see it uh, applying? Where do you see it pointing? Um, describe that to us. Well, first of all, I think that the uh, the, the major uh, point of contention is in the question itself. We don't read it as Isaiah 53 individually. Right? When you look at Isaiah, we need to look at the entirety of Isaiah. And the chapter 53 is within the section of Isaiah that discusses uh, the Babylonian exile. It's a, it's a, a prophecy of, of destruction and then redemption. Um, and so, and so the, the, the chapter itself is not read separately. Mm-hmm. And so when we read it in context of the surroundings, there's no immediate uh, uh, conclusion that sends the reader necessarily to Jesus. I'm not saying it doesn't. Like I'm not going no, 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 to speak your, yep. your interpretation. But, <clears throat> but for, for, again, for a Jewish reader, we read the whole thing uh, together. Yep. And, and when we look at uh, Isaiah, uh, at this section of Isaiah, specifically from 44 to 55, uh, this whole sh- section is talking about the, uh, the exile in Babylon. It starts with Cyrus and moves on uh, to the Babylonian exile and, and the redemption and the uh, attribution to my servant Jacob. Now, again, we have to look at the entirety of Isaiah. When we read Isaiah, the language that he uses often is from the singular to the plural, or he uses a singular example to expound further to discuss the, the nation of Israel. So if he, he would talk about a her, but he's really meaning the nation. The nation. He's okay. talking about Jacob. It, but he's really meaning all of Israel. Correct. Yep. And so yep. the yep. question is, so who is the servant? Yep. Which in Hebrew, Avdi Yaakov is really a slave. Um, so uh, traditionally it's a, uh, I, know, I, know, I know that it's a, the, the, I, the notion of Jacob as a slave um, it's less it's less of a natural jump. I understand why it has to be a servant or it's easier to call it a servant, a servant of God. Um, but the word is Avdi Yaakov. And, and we're, so who is this Evid? Who is this slave? And if you read the entirety of Isaiah, it's easier to understand. It comes up in many, many different places sure. uh, that Isaiah is talking about a, uh, an example to, to the nation. And so uh, there's no need to conclude Again, for a Jewish reader, there's no need to jump to the conclusion that 53 specifically is talking about Jesus when the entire section is talking about the nation of Israel. So, and, and you'll say some more. So then help us understand. So you're not, you're not, you're not reading. And, and, and by the way, we, I, I really applaud you in your desire to fit Isaiah 53 contextually into the chapters both before and after. We Hopefully, when we do it right, we're not just grabbing a chapter out or even grabbing a verse out, but we're trying to read it in context. We try to teach our people here, be very careful doing that. Chances are the, the, the more you just pull out, the, the less you really are most likely to get that right mm-hmm. because you've ripped it out of its context. Right. Taking the so, tree out of the forest. Yeah, yeah. so it, it really kind of loses <clears throat> its ability to understand what it is. Um, so like when you, when, you, when you look at this text, like this was not um, uh, kind of the, hey, in, when Isaiah 53 happens, that will be our Messiah. So it was not even kind of considered a messianic text in rabbinical schools or as you're kind of growing up. Not per up, se. No, 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 not, not per se. se. Okay. No, not per se. Again, this whole idea of, of uh, uh, Isaiah is talking about the condition of the people of Israel in exile. Uh, and again, we're seeing a despised nation, a rejected nation, a humiliated nation, 
and so when you look at the condition of Israel through the years, the centuries, even mm-hmm. millennium mm-hmm. of exile, mm-hmm. then there is a there's a ma- the, the text matches the reality of the Jewish people throughout this this age. So once again, there's no there's no immediate necessity sure. to jump to the conclusion that it's uh, referring to a specific person, namely Jesus. And this goes back a little bit to what we were talking about yesterday, when. Uh, and I understand, and also understand your perspective. When, when, if you look at Jesus as the Messiah, then now, now you're reading backwards. Yeah. You're retrofitting. You're retrofitting. The, right. You're retrofitting the, the, the prophecies to fit this individual person. But sure. if, if from the very beginning, uh, Jewish scholars did not look at Jesus as the Messiah, there's no reason for them to do this to retrofit. Right. And so, and so, and so, if uh, you know, there's a saying: if you have a, if all you have is a is a hammer, you look at every problem as a nail. Sure. There are many tools in the shed. Yeah, and so and so there's not a a necessity to read Isaiah 53 as a chapter that's referring specifically to Jesus. Do you want to expand a little bit more in terms of sure. like the specifics of 53? Sure. Um, well, again, so we're starting we're starting at the uh, with uh, the questions of uh, 53 actually starts in 52. Um, if you look backwards uh, at uh, 5013, uh, we're talking about uh, behold, my servant shall deal. Uh, prudently and should be exalted and extolled and uh, to very high. So, so, so the question is, who is this servant? Okay. I said, who is this servant? Uh, and if we look throughout Isaiah, uh, we're seeing this uh, uh, again. This term in Hebrew, Evid, my my slave. You see, this term of Diako comes up in many, many uh, different uh, places. Namely, it starts in uh, Isaiah 10, verse 20. Um, if we we can go back to You get there before me. Go ahead. Yeah. In that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them, but will lean on Adonai, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. All right. So, so we're starting. Here's the introduction of the introduction of Jacob, and the uh, uh, and this is also a, a reference to uh, uh, to Exodus, the 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 idea of uh, um, of 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 leaving of leaving and the the remnant that that yeah. will be. Uh, verse 21 a remnant will return the remnant of Jacob to the, to the mighty god right and so and so we're introduced to the Jacob of the Yaakov which is Jacob the slave or the servant in some of the of the uh, um, in some of the translations and and then that term repeats itself again and again and again and again and again and we don't have I don't think we have a dispute about uh, it, when Isaiah is talking about this individual Jacob he's referring to the the nation of sure he's not talking about Jacob right and so and so we're we're going on we're going on through this uh, the introduction of this person and uh, uh, or this uh, entity um, uh, Jacob uh, which is again by my reading the nation of Israel and then we're we're moving forward um, the uh, if we go to verse three um, despised in fifty three now we're going to verse three despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, and he was despised, and he did not esteem him. Now, again, I do understand, sure, uh, with reading of the New Testament and knowing the life mm-hmm. of Jesus, mm-hmm. especially the last hours of his life on the cross, how um, Christians would read this as identifying with Jesus. It's almost, uh, it's, it's almost uncanny. Sure, sure. Um, but for a Jewish reader, it is much more closely related to the condition of the nation of Israel through their time in exile, as a rejected and despised people who want to turn away from. It does not match the idea of Jesus during his lifetime. 
as a man who is followed, as a man who is exalted, as a man who multitudes come and listen to uh, and follow him and adore him and love him. So there's there's a bit of a mismatch. You kind of have to you kind of have to <laughs> focus. You kind of have to focus on the last hours sure, sure, sure. of of Jesus's life in order to to match these uh, uh, these words to his uh, uh, to his uh, persona. Now again, I'm not claiming yeah. that there's no validity to any other no, no, interpretation no, no, I whatsoever. Get it, I get it. All I'm saying is that there is a, uh, uh, Jews have been reading this text for hundreds, thousands of years. Yeah. Right? Thousands yeah. of years. Yeah. Um, and there is enough content in the, in the text and in the context uh, that does not require a yeah. leap yeah. into the identification with Jesus. And, and one of the things I find really interesting, and I, I think it's just good for us because, uh, you know, our desire, your desire, we've, we talked about this yesterday at length in our, in our even our private conversations, is that, you know, we, we, we want to know the truth of this text. We want to not just support our own agenda, but, I mean, I think both of us have a genuine desire to, um, to understand this text well. And when I hear, um, so I'll, I'll, I'll take a little bit of a... Um, I don't mean the word critique in the negative sense, but a critique of how even we talk about Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, it was funny hearing you describe, well, wait, I mean, this text doesn't really describe Jesus. The the masses followed him. He was popular. He was appreciated. He was loved and valued. And it's funny because at times preachers love to talk about that. Look at all the people that 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 that, that came and, and look at all the people he fed and look at all the all the crowds. Like this is what this is when Jesus is at his best, this is what's going on. And then all of a sudden then we switch. Right. And so it's it literally is an up and down. The truth about Jesus is truly both. We can't have it in essence both ways. There were many times in which the teachings of Jesus were popular and they did esteem him, like they did value him and love him and appreciate him. And then there were times where that was not the case. Like both are true. And I think it's good for us to just be honest both on both sides of the aisle right. in terms of just recognizing, yeah, there is a, a validity to the popularity of Christ in many instances. And then there's a deep validity in John 6 after he preaches the Sermon on the Bread of Life, people are walking away. And he even turns to his own disciples and says, are you going to leave me too? So right. there really is an up and down. There's a loneliness. On, there's a loneliness that exists, right? So it is, it is, there is a popularity in Jesus's ministry and there is a non-popularity of Jesus's ministry. And so to recognize both of those, I can see how from, from, from your perspective for, for Jesus and his popularity, wow, this text doesn't describe that part of his ministry. Right. And so, no, I, so hear, I hear that. So I, th- I think that that is also part of the part of the question um, that we're trying to, to address, because I often, I often am told or asked or challenged. <laughs> well, right. I love this. You always say that when, when any pastor particularly shows up in Israel and, and you're leading them and you do a great job leading them, they all kind of consider you to be their project. I'm going to there convert Yuri. Um, the uh, it's not just uh, it's actually not so much the pastors. I think there's a there's a more uh, a, a more nuanced understanding. But many Christians that I yeah, that yeah, I yeah. meet when I guide in Israel, so they okay. So what about fifty three? So what about, what about <laughs> well, almost like to, you've never read it? <laughs> Have you guys read Isaiah fifty three? Do you know this book? Have you seen it? <laughs> you there's book? some great stuff in here about Jesus. <laughs> so so all, all I'm saying is that we're, we're, when we talk about it, if we were if we were in a, in a court, we'll be trying to uh, reach a burden of proof. Yeah. And, and so, so the question is, does this reach uh, the, the burden of proof? And all I'm trying to say is that I'm, I'm trying to raise um, uh, alternative ways of, of reading this text that don't necessarily lead me to the, uh, uh, the conclusion 
sure. the uh, the only conclusion that this chapter is referring to Jews are the other ways. And I think that one of the, the most important ones is the final point that I want to raise about this is the use of the term the arm of God. So this shows up in um, in fifty two mm. fifty two ten, um, and and this uh, the the idea of the arm of God or or zroa uh, Adonai and um, the Lord has made bare His holy arm in the eyes of all nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And again, this repeats itself throughout Isaiah from the beginning, from 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 chapter forty. Whenever we use the term or we see the term arm of God in the Bible, it is referring to a physical liberation, a national, a national liberation uh, of the children of Israel being liberated from an oppressor. Okay, it starts in Egypt. And God shows His mighty arm over the uh, the Red Sea uh, and throughout the uh, the entire biblical narrative, and so it's a very very powerful image. Mm. And again, for a Jewish reader, it's one of those um, um, tags, a hashtag. Okay, right? it's a hashtag yep. Yep. which uh, which which reminds us of this national liberation. It's part of the covenant, right? the covenant. Sure. Of the children of Israel, sure. the God of Israel, the land of Israel, and and Isaiah 53 and this whole section of Isaiah fits into this kind of national liberation narrative and national exile punishment. It is a punishment of exile, but there's also a redemption in it, in a national the redemption and a return to the land. So this kind of gives the whole context to these uh, number of chapters, and there's not a necessity. To yeah. jump to the conclusion that this specific chapter is talking about Jesus Christ. Um, no, that's good. It's it's interesting how we we hear a word because so I'm in 52:10. So one thing I will share with you um, that uh, as 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 Christians, as followers of Jesus, um, we should read things contextually. So we're not just trying to find, hey, this verse seems to sound like Jesus, and even the way this this uh, this text is used in the New Testament, particularly with the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter nine. Um, this eunuch is reading this, and he's wondering who he's talking about. And he says to Philip, who is he talking about? Is he talking about, you know, is, is, it, is, it, is it someone else? Who is it? He's talking about himself. Who is this? And then Philip begins from this text and explains to him about Jesus, the Messiah. And so there is a New Testament kind of a drawing back. I mean, I, I guarantee you that's the part I will readily admit, that I do not know if I would have been able to read this text and make the connections if it wasn't for Jesus and other New Testament writers to do exactly as you said, to point back and to say, this is the fulfillment of this. Matthew's gospel particularly keeps using that word in the Greek, it's plerao, meaning to fulfill, uh, to bring to pass, and um, loves to describe the Old Testament prophecies coming coming rea- in, real in, in, uh, in Jesus. And so the one thing that I, I would share as I read through Isaiah 53, um, I would actually agree with you that what we're what we're seeing here in Isaiah 53 is at some level a depiction of Jacob, of uh, the people of Israel, that there would be a, a strong connection going back all the way to 10 and seeing the destruction um, of, of Israel in terms of their punishment for their covenantal uh, unfaithfulness to God. And then the remnant being uh, being being brought out and then and then uh, Babylon being judged 
and then the remnant coming home. So all of those things um, in, in, in Isaiah going back. So when we when we take a look at, uh, at, at even all the way back into 48 in terms of how we see this refinement of the people in terms of what's happening, um, I would say that like it's not like every time you see Jacob, you can substitute the name Jesus. And every time you see Israel, you can substitute the name Jesus. That, that would not be, I, I don't think, a very uh, um, uh, appropriate uh, interpretation of the prophecy. But then as, right. we, as we continue to move forward and we, and we actually see the servant of the Lord, where this is when we begin to diverge, is we would say, yes, I, I can see how um, the depiction of Israel in this text can look like the nation. Um, so when you talk about being despised and rejected, as much as I first go to um, Jesus, particularly in the final weeks and his rejection and, and the crucifixion, definitely all of that. Um, I, I can I can I can totally see how someone could say, yeah, but I mean that was the nation itself when it's in exile. I mean, imagine what it was like in 586 when Jerusalem is destroyed and the exiles are brought to Babylon. I mean, that's a good picture of them too. Like actually anyone that is being persecuted or oppressed or attacked, it would be a picture of them. I mean, I think of lots of pictures throughout history, and the person who is being oppressed is, in fact, despised and rejected. That's a, Those mm-hmm. are common terms that we would use, right? Now, what we would say, though, is that in Jesus, particularly going back to, and I'll go back to uh, verse 10 of chapter 52, that the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God that we would say, yes, there is going to be at some level of physical liberation, particularly from the exiles that Isaiah is prophesying about, that these people who are not even yet in exile, that you will be despised, that you will go through all of these things, but the salvation of God, the the ultimate restoration of God and the, his covenantal promise to Abram, Abraham is going to reach in a greater fulfillment. And so 52 and 53 is speaking about the people of Israel and then in the New Testament, what we believe is that then Jesus becomes the the fulfillment. The, ful- the, 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 the I don't know if I want to say like some 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 scholars really wrestle with this phrase, but some would call it like and maybe you know this, maybe you don't know this phrase, like a double fulfillment. So there is a fulfillment. So <clears throat> this is Isaiah speaking in the future, and what is he speaking about? Well, when he's talking about the restoration of Israel, he's talking about the restoration of Israel. He's talking about the exiles coming home. Nobody. At least I don't know of a person who thinks he's talking about anything but that. He's talking about literally after the 70 years while they're in exile, um, they're going to get out. And we know they do this, right? I've seen Nehemiah's wall. You've shown it to right. me. Well, so, the first, in the first temple period. Yeah, in the first temple the first period. Temple. So, so you really, literally you see like the work that, that these people are doing in terms of the restoration. So they go into exile, they're in Babylon, and then there is a time period. 70 years after the destruction of Jerusalem, we see Jews going back and the land being established again. And so that's what he's talking about. And then we believe, in addition to that, that what Jesus comes along and does in a way that Israel as a nation could not do, or and I would even say humanity could not do, so it's nothing particularly about the Jewish people. Um, God selected them through Abram and uh, made them the, the sand of the seas and the stars of the sky and made them into a great nation so that he would bring his Messiah and then that Messiah would come, and then that Messiah would enact many of these prophecies from the Old Testament. So it's not an either-or. It's not, is this speaking about Israel, or is this speaking about Jesus? In many instances, it's yes, that this is how Israel has enacted this, and this is how this is going to be played out. 
And then the good news is, is that what humanity, and particularly in the Old Testament with the Jewish nation, could not accomplish in terms of their faithfulness and obedience to God, God himself incarnating, taking on human flesh, was able to accomplish. So we would say that the salvation in 10 would have a political element to it, mm-hmm. okay? Because there is going to be a freedom from the Babylonians. But it's, it's more than that. <coughs> we would come along, and, and, and what, we would, what, we would, what we would strongly assert is that that would be consistently through throughout the Bible, that even in terms of the, um, the, the liberation, I doubt if you would disagree with this, but the liberation out of Exodus, out of Egypt, was not just a physical liberation, but it was a liberation to go and worship and to be faithful to God. That even in terms of a lot of the uh, the, the complexities of the of the of the Exodus out of Egypt, was because the Jews would have had a difficult time worshiping um, worshiping God <laughs> their way in Egyptian culture. Like it was uh, it was very much an abomination to the Egyptians, mm-hmm. and so and the text talks about that. And so the the liberation of them was, yes, physical, because God saw the misery of his people. And indeed, you know, Exodus 3, for I have indeed seen the misery of my people and I have coming down and I will rescue them. God says that himself. And so Moses, therefore, go. So there there is a liberation, but then there's more than that. And the more than that is their covenantal faithfulness to God. Correct. Their, the more, which I don't again, I don't think you would disagree with. And then we would see that all of that from the Old Testament, going back all the way to Genesis 12, all of these promises are culminated in in Jesus. So he, the the nation of Israel walks through Isaiah 53, and then Jesus fulfills. So that's does that make sense? It, it, it's, so that so that's it, where that's where we would right. conclude. It, make, it, make, it makes sense when. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense. Yes, uh, it makes sense when you um, when you accept the role that you ascribe mm-hmm. to Jesus, mm-hmm. right? The, the, it mm-hmm. totally makes sense, right? You're not you're not crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. I hear what you're saying. <laughs> that, what you're saying right, is, if those are your presuppositions, you've 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 got to uh, you've got to an appropriate and exactly. logical conclusion. Exactly, exactly. But but that's exactly where we differ because yes. uh, the the role, the historical role uh, that Jews had ascribed to or Jews today, uh, and Many Jews, yes, and most yes, Jews back then, ascribed to Jesus Christ is not the Christ. Yeah. Again, and we talked about this about yesterday. The role of the Messiah, the Mashiach, the role of the Messiah in in uh, in, in Jewish eschatology and in Jewish thought and in historical view is that of a physical national uh, liberation, a return of the exiles, a rebuilding of Israel, a reconstitution of Israeli sovereignty and liberation from its oppressors. Um, and Jesus did not do. He did not fulfill those no. particular. Uh, roles yes. and jobs of uh, of the Messiah, and so they, they skipped them. Yeah, no, Just no, no. Them. I get it. And, and and the one thing I will even add, right? And this is where we're going to disagree. Is Jesus back then? They had the same issue. They wanted to come and make him king by force. And Jesus is like, yeah, we're not doing this this way. So what you're saying actually lines up with the biblical text. They were looking for. I mean, that's. I, I don't think. I don't look at when you say that. You mm-hmm. know, that this was our. This is our historic and and even modern day expectation of the Messiah. I want to go. Yeah, it's it's almost like when I talk with you, like I'm in the Gospels again, because that that was there. They say that those same things to Jesus, like this is the kind of liberation that we're looking for. And Jesus said, that's not the kind of liberation I want to give. And again, that's kind of where we go in different two different directions. So I think, you don't deny the historicity of Jesus. No, you just don't don't agree that he was, in fact, as the Bible records him to be, which is the Messiah. Well, let me go a step further because I think it's a little bit more. At least my own personal position is a little sure. bit more, a little bit more than that. I I, I think that um, 
from my perspective, the the notion of the arrival, the historical role that the Jewish people have on this planet, right? the the uh, the chosenness and the the as the vehicle yep. of the of showing God's manifestation in this world, ethical monotheism, this idea of boundaries in human behavior, treat the neighbor like yourself and do unto others, et cetera, yeah, et cetera, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is a role that was ascribed to the Hebrew tribes, to the Israelites, to the Jewish people from the very, very beginning. But the real success in, in bringing these values to the world was through Jesus hmm. and through Christianity. Hmm. So, so I think that the, from, the, from historical, sure. if you're looking at this trajectory, I may not accept Jesus as the Messiah from a Jewish perspective. Sure, right? I sure. have a covenant with God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a covenant with God. I, f- I want to fulfill that covenant with God. Okay. Right? I have my own tracks to follow when it comes to my relationship with God, the children of Israel, the people of Israel, the, the God of Israel, the land of Israel. Sure. But, but Jesus fulfills the track of the historical role of ethical monotheism and the arrival of God on this earth. Right. So, so I, I don't see necessarily a an absolute contradiction. I don't think that we're like this. I think that we're now divergent and we're going okay. in parallel. No, parallel I, I, I don't. I don't disagree, and that's why when you know when we take tours to Israel, you even describe that you'll say this. Like my my goal is to not convert you over to uh, to, to no absolutely to, to, not. to Jewish thought as much as it is that you might continue in your path. You see the value of Jesus's teaching. You see those things. So you don't you don't deny the historicity, or and you don't even deny the value of some of his teachings. Absolutely, what you would not agree with because sometimes. Sometimes deny can sound too strong, but however you want to put it, you just don't come to the same conclusion that I've come to, that he is, in fact, the fulfillment of Israel and the Messiah. Isaiah 53 not only points to Israel, but ultimately points to Jesus. You go, yeah, I'm not with you on that. But, but, yes, but, but, but it's, for me, it's not a—it doesn't bother me, right? It, I'm, not bothered, I'm not bothered by the fact that you have a different interpretation of this text sure. because it takes you to a place sure. where I think that makes the world a better place. Sure. Right, and, so. and I would say this. I would say, like, I'm not, I'm not bothered <laughs> by the fact that um, that we come to a different place. I think the places that we arrive to may have eternal, not may, I shouldn't say that, have eternal ramifications. And so, even the bothering is not even so much like, how dare you not agree with me? Like, why? I, I'm okay with people not agreeing with me. Like, I, I'm not the king. I'm not the like God is. And so, I trust Him with the final resolution of all things. Um, and I would even say the same way that you described to me that that makes logical sense. Like when, when you're describing the text, one thing that has been, it has been comforting to me is to go, you know, I kind of look around to my friends and I go, hey, guys, all our Jewish friends seem to agree with us on half of how we look at Isaiah. <laughs> like truly, like you, when, you, when we talked about this yesterday and you were like, hey, this is how we see it. I mean, we did. We kind of looked at each other and went, hey. That's awesome. <laughs> um, we're not crazy. We we so uh, I mean going back to what we appreciate about about our heritage. Mm-hmm. Like I am just so grateful though, for the work um, that our our Jewish brothers and sisters, but mostly brothers, I guess, um, have done in terms of helping us understand the biblical text. And so there there really is a, a certain debt that ultimately we we give to God. But mm-hmm. that I can say to you, I mean, it has been just hearing you explain Isaiah fifty three. Um, actually is a is a confirmation to me that I'm getting some of it right at least and then and then we do go kind of in a different in a different direction we've got um, you know 10 15 more minutes or 12 minutes or so sure let's let's deal with the other big one which is uh, which is Psalm 22 which I will I'll gladly share I mean you were pointing out some stuff to me and in my mind you know the Bible is so big. <laughs> 
um, forgive me, I forget things sometimes. When you started sharing this with me, it was it was like I had this reminder. I think someone has told me this. Like I think someone has. And then, as you know, I ended up going back and, and, and talking to some friends of mine who are more of an expert in the Hebrew language and, and in this particular text. And uh, I loved it because they literally said, yeah, like, Uri's right. <laughs> Uri knows what he's talking about. Like they totally agreed with you, right? I mean, they yeah. were totally going, yeah, he gets that. So this is the famous Psalm 22 text, which uh, is quoted from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, and then as I read it, I kind of walk through and I talk about this. These people have surrounded me. I'm a worm, not a man. I'm scorned. I'm despised. People cast lots for my clothing. And then the great statement, verse 16, and they've pierced my hands and my feet. And we read this and we go, wow, this is such a clear picture of Jesus. I mean, how, how do they not see this? And um, before you deal with verse 16, just kind of just kind of give us an overview. Like, again, how would you how would you have looked at Psalm 22 and uh, and, and, and kind of applied it? Well, the um, it goes. It's along the lines that we've already spoken about uh, when we yeah. concerning yep. concerning Isaiah. Well, first first of all, as you pointed out, this is this is uh, David's uh, own personal condition. Right? Sure, He's, he feels deserted. Right? And we we all know this. this is a very human condition. <laughs> when you feel deserted, when you feel low, when you feel depressed, when you feel that everything's turning against you, your friends, your family, um, the people who thought you were your friends are sure. turning against you, then you're in that place and you feel des deserted. Like, why have you deserted me? So mm -hmm. I think there's a, we've seen your cry of David that's calling out um, of his own personal conviction. He feels completely, completely uh, deserted uh, from, uh, from his surroundings. Um, and I think that Jews would read this again over, at, uh, over time and over the history of the Jewish condition among the nations as, as similar. Remember that the... the, the the Jewish condition for the last 2,000 years is that of exile. Yeah. And that yeah. exile, and yep. again, we, we talked a little bit about this yesterday. If you asked until until the 17th century, until the, almost the middle of the 18th century, ask any Jew around the world, who are you? What are you? What are you? What, how yeah. do you define yourself? So, yeah. well, I'm a member of, a, of a, the children of Israel. We have a covenant uh, with God. We have sinned against our God. For that, we have been punished in the exile, and we are now awaiting the return. return. Yeah. Winning the return, yeah. right? And so, and so, this idea and and, and it repeats itself, and and the hardships that the Jews have endured over the um, uh, millennium. Yeah. Um, uh, that uh, uh, the, when they read this psalm, it it's almost uh, completely identifies with their own condition. Um, and again, it, it leads at the end to, what can you do? Have faith in God, um, and that will be your strength, right? So, so it always always comes full circle. David does this often. He yes, goes, he does. Uh, <laughs> Starts out bad, <laughs> and in bad. the end, he, he knows that he knows that God will rescue him. Right. So, so, so that's so that's that's where it is. So that's how a a traditional Jewish reader uh, would would read this text. And again, there's no necessity. There's no absolute necessity that points to from mm -hmm. this uh, this chapter, yep. uh, and we'll talk about verse sixteen in a moment. Yep. But there's no necessity to read this chapter. As a uh, as a direct relation to Jesus, so um, so let's let's just for our people to see even the importance of not shying away from the the truth of Scripture. Sometimes sometimes everybody can be guilty of holding on to a word or a phrase 
Um, I do this to our people a lot. I have them turn to John 5, 4 in their Bibles, and they <laughs> look, like, and what yeah, and it's, it's not in there, right? And it's like, well, where'd John 5, 4 go? And I have John 5, 3, I have John 5, 5. What happened? And the, the truth is, how the biblical text has come to us is, is rich. It's complicated. In, in a little while, we'll be in the Qumran, and we'll be able to see some of these manuscripts. And, and it is. It's a, it's a rich, rich, rich history. And I have, uh, many have studied much more than me, but I've studied like how this came to be, because I have to know if my belief in God or even my belief in his word is true and reliable. Um, and so, you know, you look at verse 16 and my, my translation in the ESV, and I'm always reminded that mine is a English translation of the Hebrew text as best we can put together from all of the textu- textual manuscripts. And in verse 16, most people who are listening to this podcast have heard this. For dogs encompass me, a company of evil doers have encircled me, they have pierced my hands and my feet. And one of the observations that you made that I had at best forgotten, and if I can't imagine I hadn't heard this before, but and I'm so I'm a little bit shocked it didn't kind of rise higher on my radar. Okay, <laughs> no, but teach us a little bit about what about the 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 the, so, the truth of that text. So the Hebrew text, the Hebrew text does not read pierced my hands and my feet. The Hebrew text uh, reads that the dogs uh, dogs surrounded me and like eventually like a lion, my hands and my feet. Okay. The word is ka'ari, like a lion. Ka'ari. Ka'ari. Ari is a lion. Ka'ari, like a lion, or as So ka uh, is as like. As like. Ari? Yes. Ari is a lion. A lion. Arie. Okay. Uh, Arie. Ari. Uh, the lion of, uh, of Judah. Ari, is, uh, that's the uh, uh, one of the, the different words for lion. That is the main one of them. So it would be, it would be uh, according to this manuscript. So not this is an interpretation issue. Right. This is a text issue. This is a, Correct. These are the words of the text, okay? So it would read, for dogs um, encompass me, a company of evil duels encircle me, um, as like lions. As a lion, my hands and my feet. Now, meaning... Meaning, that's that's up to interpreter. Meaning, that it can be either like the dogs have surrounded me and are now gnawing at my hands and my okay. feet, like, like imagine, a lion. Imagine a hunting pack. Yeah. Right. So there's a dog. Dogs are going after a lion. They're surrounding the lion and they're now gnawing at his hand and his feet. It also means the lion is tied up and bound. Okay. Right. And being carried by his hand and his feet. Okay. okay. So, but I I don't have an exact sure. image. But this is the image. Now, again, think about David. Okay. All right. David uses. Yeah, lion and oh, the bear, yeah, totally. And he's out there in the fields with his sheep, and blah, blah, blah. so he, this is something that he's. Uh, it's language he uses right. in other psalms. And a, a lion also appears earlier in Psalm twenty-two. Yes, right. So uh, also when we talk about the structure of a biblical verse, often, especially in Psalms, will be will be divided into two. The first half will be either a um, uh, a, a parallel yes. to the second half, or an opposite right? yeah. to to yeah. underscore yeah. the the meaning. Um, Progressive so the, parallel. Or, you know, when we talk about it, there's progressive parallel, whether it's building or asymmetrical or it's contrasting go. or whatever. Yes. Okay. So so the uh, um, what happened somewhere along the line. Yeah. Explain that because it, it, it actually makes sense. I can see where they made a mistake. And then you can say, well, that was either an intentional. That's right. It's or can, it was it, like a oops. So correct. explain. explain so so the, 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 the translation that we have that we read here. So I'm reading from from the New King James and, and all the most and many mm-hmm, of the other mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, translations um, would have copied a manuscript that instead of the yud ka'ari, there are three letters aleph resh yud and yud is a very small letter. But if you extend the leg of the yud, of the yud it becomes a vav and then it is a u sound. So it's a it's a vowel. Okay. So instead of ka'ari, we read ka'aru. Okay, that's close. 
It's very, well, it looks almost like the same. Okay, except so Ka'ari, Ka'aru. Yes, and Ka'aru comes from, the, the, the root word of Ka'aru is, is to dig or to- Make uh, a hole. Make a hole. It usually comes from digging. Right? D- yep, Dig- yep, digging yep, to, yep, uh, yep. Uh, to uh, uh, excavate or to dig. Um, and, and from Ka'aru, Yadai Viraglai, they have dug into my it. hands and my feet. He, I love it when he talks in, in <laughs> Hebrew. <laughs> uh, I need to have you just come and live with me and in the morning just like just read the Old Testament to me. So I suggested that oh, the, you come live with me and, you know, be surrounded by Hebrew all day. And, oh, my uh, goodness. Be, okay. I think that'll be excited. Right. Okay. So, <laughs> so here's here's what's interesting is I, um, I, I uh, the Ka'aru is actually found in, just for those of you that are really following along, 40, uh, Psalm 40, verse 6. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. And that open word is ka'aru. Right. So you have, you have made a hole. Made a hole in my ear. ear. Yeah. Right. You made a hole in the ears. And, uh, so that's where, they get, that's where they get the word pierce. Right. But honestly, it, it, I, I'd have to agree. It seems like they're reading into it. It's a, it's a, it's a bit of a leap. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a bit of a leap. Um, and so, and so, this oh, that the, the and later on comes into pierce, piercing my hands and my feet. So you can you can read the text with ka'aru, and then with the to make a hole. with the Septuagint, and then the Vulgate afterwards, yes. and, yep. and then yep. and then yep. it'll become to make a hole in my hands and my feet, and that's sure. how it's read. But when if you read at the original sure. um, uh, Hebrew, it doesn't read like that at all. Like that. And I think that uh, you made the point uh, yesterday when talking when you, when you uh, that that this specific verse, which is so aha aha, Does, have you told Ori about the piercing part in, in <laughs> Psalm twenty-two? Because I think that will convince him. <laughs> no, but that's literally those right. are the secret conversations yeah. we have when you're not in the room. <laughs> Tell him about verse sixteen. <laughs> Yet you pointed out that this doesn't appear in the gospel. Yeah. If this is such a aha, yes. So how come at the time it wasn't used? And it's and and Psalms is quoted probably the most quoted. Yes. And this in, psalm particularly, this like particular. literally, like you would think, like if that was an aha, right? Then Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or Paul, or Peter, or would James have caught on. Would have went, it. hey right. guys, let's 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 really make use. Like when you guys are out there in the synagogues, make sure you do the right. Psalm twenty-two right. verse. On, it's on the talking points. Right? Yes, <laughs> like yeah, literally, it's like take a look at. Make sure you emphasize number seven and number twelve. Right. Get it? And, are, and and so I think I think that indicates as you as you mentioned yesterday that even at the time this was uh, either red ka'ari or at best controversial mm-hmm. already at the time so it wasn't in use. So again, so we're going back to the so I, I'm not disputing yeah. your interpretation of the text. I'm saying that there is enough evidence or enough ways to interpret the text differently that doesn't necessitate a leap to, to identifying this text with Jesus. Now, um I, I get it. So here's how a Christian would then read this text. And you know, I don't I don't know I don't know about what uh, you as listeners are thinking about. I don't know if that the the truth about verse 16 has um I, I get it. I know when when I hear difficult things about my own faith, I know what it's like to have to swallow hard. I know what it's like to have this skip in my chest, right? Cuz I want not not only do I believe what I believe to be true, I want what I believe to be true. Like both are true. And that's I think a human emotion, a human experience. When I, when, I, when I looked at this, and when you even showed this to me, and I went, oh, wait a second, actually, down in the bottom of my, my own Bible, it actually tells me what you just said. So mine has it. Mm-hmm. And then when I called my buddy, the, one of the most brilliant people in the world, Dr. Pachauer, and I said, hey, you know, brother Pachauer, like, what, what, do you, what do you think about this verse? Pachauer did the exact same thing. 
He told me exactly what you said. Yeah. And, I, so, and so, so I so love that. There's also a footnote in the King James that says, following some Hebrew manuscripts, Septuagint, Syriac, Vulgate, Masoretic text reads like a line. So it's even in here in the King James. Exactly. So, I mean, here's what I love is that anyone on any um, of, reli of religious conviction hopefully can say, yeah, like this is the text. We got to deal with it. Right. So whether we like it or not, we've got to understand this text. And I, I love the, the quest to go back as best we can to the original stuff. I would say this. I would say for those of you that are listening right now that are going, wait a second, did we just, wh wh what were we hanging on to in Psalm 22? And I would even point out, like, let's, let's not get caught up with what maybe Jim has emphasized in a sermon or what, what you've actually heard, uh, you know, Ryan or Morgan talk about in a lesson, that it's not the verse 16 that is the aha, because look at back at the, at the text. So how would we read it, verse tw or chapter 22? Again, we would say, yes, it's describing David. Yes, it's describing um, the, the difficulties that he went through. And as you pointed out, you know, many of these problems that David went through actually were self caused <laughs> he made some poor choices and some of some of his that's problems, a different podcast different podcasts some of some of these problems he definitely invited the issue um but the but the bigger theme and this is why it's good to, to remember that we're not hanging on like a verse like on the christian side and even on the jewish side that we're not hanging on a verse that what psalm 22 it begins my god my god why have you forsaken me why are you so far from saving me for my words for my groaning um, Jesus utters those words from the cross. On not, the cross. not. He doesn't say, "You've pierced my hands and my feet." He actually says, "Why are you so far from my groaning?" That's why the 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 text, and I believe, originally reading, dogs have encircled me, a band of evildoers have surrounded me, as lions tearing at my feet, or however you want to kind of understand that word. I I believe that. Okay, I go, yeah, that's exactly, and I even say, looking at the cross, like that's what's happening. The the, the main thrust of Psalm twenty two is actually going back to what I see in Isaiah 53. The, the accusation that is happening at the cross is these, these people are laughing at the fact that Jesus said that he could save others, they, that he was trusting in God. And if you, you look in verse 4 in the text, um, uh, in, your, in our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. Uh, to you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not be put to shame. So again, going back to even the accusations around the cross, we actually see in, in Psalm 22, both in David and then ultimately in Jesus, that the servant of God or the slave of God, the servant of God trusts in him, um, faces great opposition, and in the end, even though there might be even death, that ultimately there is a rescue that is happening. And that's what you actually see at the end of the text. And, and then we would argue is that that's what we see on Sunday morning when Jesus is raised from the dead, that God does not let his Holy One see decay, but he raises him up. And in that sense, not a verse in Psalm 22 proves, verse 16 proves that the crucifixion, that's not, that should not have ever been what we've said. And mm -hmm. I, I think I even need to say, man, thank you for reminding me that I need to look more holistically at the scriptures instead of atomistically, like at a small little tiny verse. Because Psalm 22, I, I always knew this, and I need to trust it more, is the big picture that Jesus Christ, in fact, is the one, the descendant of David, who ultimately trusted God, who ultimately, um, by even God's design, was crucified, um, died, and, uh, and God vindicated him, even though the people on the ground went, look at that, we killed him. Proof positive. Ah, let's wait till Sunday.
before we have that. <laughs> that's what we would say. I'm just saying that's what we would say. Well, hey, um, anything else you want to add? I don't mind giving you the kind of the, the finalish word. Well, once again, I just um, I think that uh, I've already mentioned this, but um, I think that that uh, this is a very uh, useful and positive discussion. It is it's very hard? I cannot exaggerate. <laughs> Seriously, I cannot exaggerate the uniqueness and the um, uh, uh, this the, the, how special this conversation is. Because this conversation, again, we're not the first. To have this conversation, um, but uh, throughout his, historically for yeah. hundreds, thousands of no, years, I know. I know. this conversation was done always with 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 negative, very yeah. negative aspects. And 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 once again, um, I am I'm glad, mm-hmm. I'm glad that you interpret the scripture in the way that you do, because ultimately I think it takes us to that to that place that God has intended to make this world. Uh, a better place, and we will continue to uh, argue and discuss about uh, the things that we disagree on. But let's say that we we eighty percent of the time we agree on eighty percent of the things. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, there's a there's a big point for us to remember that, and and even in terms of how you know, I think I can say for speaking for both of us, the one thing I, I at the different levels and even with different conclusions, we trust God to work it out. Right. Like I don't, I, I never want to assume the place of God, even in someone else's life. So I will bear witness to the truths that I believe about the scriptures, I will just even out of just a common decency to my, a, a brother, even, I mean, I can easily tell people how much I appreciate you and enjoy hanging out with you. And I mean, in a little while, Uri and some friends were going to be at this amazing fromagerie in Jerusalem <laughs> and we are going to have a good time together. We have a great time together. And so I really do love that. Um, but there is a lot that we share. And I love the fact that ultimately we are both willing to speak the truth as best that we understand it with kindness and grace, trust God to work it out in accordance. So I love the idea of speaking passionately and with deep conviction and yet with a tremendous amount of, of, uh, of love and respect. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I would like to go back to that place of our common shared values because I think there's more that unites us than separates us. Hey, um, hope this has been a blessing to you guys. Um, yeah, I was going to kind of give some stuff about what we're doing, but uh, chances are you'll read the, hear this podcast. So uh, if anything, and you happen to hear this when we're uh, right when we're posting it, take a look at what else is going on while Uri is here. Um, and uh, you might want to check out his Facebook page and his travel trailer stuff. And uh, we're getting ready to do a trip to Israel in 2020. And uh, hope that you'll want to come along and to learn uh, from him and from the wonderful land in which he lives. We love you guys. God bless. And uh, we'll see you soon.